Welcome to another installment of The Product Guys. Today, Rob and Andrew talk. They quote the great one, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. They figure out how Gretzky perfectly summarizes how to future-proof a workforce. Stay tuned, see if you can figure out what they mean by that. How familiar are you with NFTs? Uh, zero. I literally just read the article on Hacker Noon before I sent it to the group. Yeah, I'm going through it now. I'm loosely familiar with like Ethereum and the handshake requirement of like completing tasks from my like very crude understanding of how Ethereum works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought the I thought the concept um, kind of generally was interesting around like evolving and, and continued evolution as trends emerge, right? Like, if you had you know ten or twenty more years in the industry, you know, you're in your let's call it mid forties, mid fifties, um, and you're not conversant in you know some of the language of today's modern tech infrastructure you know how do you continue to evolve right um and when you're saying evolve do you mean add value or have the ability to pivot or join some other organization uh, yes to both, right? Like how do you, you know, Steve Steve Jobs, for instance, was continuing to add value and evolve throughout his entire his entire life, his entire career, right? Um, but you know, notoriously folks in like the energy sector um have not necessarily done that. Um, photography, et cetera. Um, so um, I thought it was interesting when Sam said, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really, you know, as deep in the games as a lot of people. It's like, well, you know, games are kind of where the magic happens. Um, right. People are talking about, you know, gamification and really providing sort of an immersive experience for employees. You know, everything's, a lot of things are apps um, or, or based on some sort of game, digital first platform that, you know, as a product manager, you just need to be familiar with period end of story. Right. Um, so how do you how do you go into that? Yeah. How do you how do you pivot to have that level of even base knowledge to work with others that are like more experts? Yeah, is what it's sort of distilling down to when I'm hearing it. Exactly. It especially especially since you have to like innovate. Like it's not it's not good enough to like be able to deliver stuff like you have to help them innovate which is a challenge when you're like uh but i didn't play that game like i never played final fantasy i never played you know what i mean like mm -hmm. um, well i think it almost comes out of like the analogy of like you were saying there's really not a lot of innovation in energy really the majority of innovation has been in cost reductions of like fracking or um whatnot and i i would 
and to your point with Steve Jobs and Apple, like that's just an obvious one that everyone knows about. There's a lot of it. And I think the, a, lot, a lot of that may be attributed to necessity um, and pressure. Whereas like the energy industry, I'll maybe say that's almost similar to like World of Warcraft, right? Where mm-hmm. they don't really have to recreate the wheel because everybody loves it or needs it. Like same with traditional energy. Um, now, I love the transition that is happening right now where a lot of the stimulus money and just general economies are becoming more aware of even the cost savings, let alone the the ecological, I don't even know the, the way to say that, the ecological or, you know what I mean? The, yeah. the ecology benefits. Um, um, so I think it's cool, but it's almost out of necessity. Like if everybody knew as much as the leading researchers of um, global warming and pollution, like, I feel like it would be drastically different. I'm not really kind of just rambling right now and trying to think through, like, I'm just trying to like make that connection of like innovations, um, like usually like born out of pressure and necessity. And if you just get complacent, right. Like, you can keep clipping those coupons for like even decades. And I think this is one of the concerns when like you don't have that overall buy-in from the employee population of like back to our last episode of like that North star, Mm -hmm. then everybody is going to be like, okay, what's my hierarchy of concern. One is me. How am I going to provide for my family and provide for myself throughout retirement? I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm going to get my pension um, all I have to do is last five more years. I don't need to worry about like this company being in existence for decades, right? Like cover my own ass first. Exactly. Uh, and that's like, and that's one of the other reasons I know, Rob, <clears throat> I feel like I try to convert you to a Tesla believer, I'm not saying you don't believe, but a Tesla, um, follower. And it's like, that's what really turned it on for me is like, many people in the company, I can't say everybody believe in the mission and they all know the goal. You ask them like, what's the objective of your company? It's to, it's to accelerate the conversion of um, renewable resources. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just so like, you can't even quantify that in a value standpoint, you know, where like just every little thing that somebody's going to do, if they believe in the mission, like they're going to do that extra 5%. And when it's compounded everywhere, it's like, magical yeah i i agree right you know even if it's that one percent better um i think that um that also kind of goes along with you know who they hire right they hire a large percentage of engineers you know whether it's software engineers or you know some other kind of engineering right um more practical physical and manufacturing and you know, naturally, those folks are generally going to have a how do we do things better mindset, too. Right. Um, so I think that's that's very interesting to kind of select through the process. And same with Amazon, Google, like the Fang interview is kind of notorious for being really tough um, because it's kind of a people first, culture first um, deliverable. It, 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 and that's even, and it's funny you say this. So I was having drinks with a sort of friend of friend the other day 
and they had friends that worked at Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I never knew the culture there was like, we're going to just grossly overpay for top talent. And, and this is a, my crude understanding of like hearing it through a telephone chain um, of like, we're just going to overpay. And um, because this is software to a degree, like that's cool if we overpay because we get so much leverage out of each employee. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think it's what Reed Hastings is the CEO. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting because it's like, okay, if, if they all know they're like, quote unquote, the best of the best and getting compensated as so, maybe like they're being motivated, right, by that high standard of like, well, we're getting paid as such, so we need to be as such. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting. We've kind of morphed this conversation into like um, almost like that invisible glue of culture, whether it's compensation or mission or, um, protecting your own ass. Yeah. It's a little bit like I got uh, drive the Dan pink book around motivation for my kid, um, Mm. over the holiday, um, holidays, um, which I know probably says some weird stuff about me as a dad, but, um, no, no, no. I love that. (laughs) Um, I think that because, um, you know, he's 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 a 13 year old boy who's trying to figure out kind of where where he derives his motivation. Right. Like now that school is not easy. What does he do? How does he do it? Right. And I think that companies are constantly riding that line behind like between like this is the thing that we're good at. And if we just keep doing this right, what got us here won't keep us here. Mm hmm. Um, another good book uh yeah yeah, it's one of my (laughs) my favorites um i don't know who the author is but yeah just just for just for the title um uh what got you here won't get you there it's like oh yeah like duh um and that book is about how middle managers it's like that's not gonna make that's not gonna put you in the ceo space right um it might help Oh, it, it's not going to get you there. Exactly. Right. Cause you're just going to be a high performing middle manager, or senior manager. You're not going to be running the company. If you keep doing the things that got you where you are, here's how to run the company or evaluate whether your company, your behavior is adaptive mm-hmm. to where you want to go. Um, I think something very similar is associated with um, a really healthy company. Right. And I think that Tesla to that point or, Elon's companies kind of in general um, are pretty good at continuing to find the the seams and saying like, okay, well, like, how do we keep going back to that brand vision? How do we keep going back to the things that define us, right? And we found it in Silicon Valley, hard interview, top talent, recruiting out of the best schools, great reputation in the marketplace for like hard work and great pay. Um, and some sort of leveling mechanism so that like you're constantly weeding out people that aren't top talent. Mm -hmm. Well, interestingly though, um, I just, I just feel compelled to raise this. Well, Tesla actually is really removing themselves from California, like that Silicon like feel moving to Texas. Um, and also, uh, our our buddy Elon has said numerous times publicly he doesn't care what college you went to, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
like if you can do a job and demonstrate that you can do a job, whether it be programming or product management or whatever it is, um, and you can point to some past projects or what have you, I love the movement of, I don't care. I mean, and maybe I'm just saying this cause I didn't go to an Ivy league school, mm-hmm. but I, I love that trend of like, can you do it? Let's talk about it. Show me what you've done. Like, great. Join the team. Like to me, that makes a lot of sense. And it opens up like opportunities to so many different people from so many different socioeconomical, um, uh, like, places in society like even geographic which i think is amazing yeah i i agree completely um you know because again the thought being that you would want to attract top talent and continue to drive through top talent and that we understand that um basically top talent isn't always going to go through the this the same schools right mm-hmm. so why would you create a limiting reagent on your ability to find top talent by saying it's only going to be stanford right it's only going to be harvard right? well, i mean back to the netflix thing I, I i'm just using them as an example i don't know if maybe they or a lot of companies do though like over the past few decades it's like oh don't even talk to me like i know dave einhart with green light capital this is more in the the investment space but like I want to say I've heard from people that he'll only hire people that are graduates from Cornell. Sure. So it's like, yep, I'm stuck up and I have a really clear filter, even though maybe it's not that indicative of of success, but it's what I've done. It's worked lucky or not. I'm just going to keep it up. I think that makes a ton of sense to me. I also feel like you, what are your risks there? Um, because in my mind, it's just another filter, right? It's another funnel. So like if corn, let's say you only hire from Cornell, it could be any school. You're banking on the fact that that institution and experience is going to create the kind of employee that you want. Right. Mm-hmm. But no two people have the same experience, even if there's some level of, you know, uh, of a homogenous experience and it's going to change over time. So like, your emphasis on that school does limit you to people who could go to Cornell and thus, you know, the, the thought around, am I representing the marketplace? Well, obviously no, you, you can't. Um, you're really just kind of recommend you know, looking at the marketplace as viewed by, um, by, by Cornell, which is again, how we, how we end up in a space right now where it's like, you know, a lot of the largest companies in the world, you know, came through Ivy league schools and the people who could get into Ivy league schools and pay for Ivy league schools. Um, and we see a little bit of a, I'll call it rebellion against that idea. Um, which I think is interesting. Um, as people say, that doesn't represent me. I don't want that product. Um, and, and how could you be so out of touch? Um, and the answer is, you know, again, that, that culture selection that we're talking about, we're, we're not talking about. Case maybe. Or, and the pressure, though, of, okay, you take all other com- com- competitors, you know, that have maintained that same approach of, like, only hiring from specific schools. And then you have, I'll just say, um, 
company X, right, comes in and they hire from everywhere. And now they maybe are able to get more perspectives and can innovate better or quicker or faster. And now these other companies are going to be faced with a decision like Kodak or um, like Blockbuster, you know, it's like, do we keep doing what we're doing or do we maybe look at this again and, and figure out like, why is the competition crushing us? Um, is it some of these beliefs that we have in place? I don't even know how we got down this tangent, but I think it's a super interesting concept and like theme that we're really seeing in front of us, especially from the almost wide net of work from home eligibility. Um, yeah, I think it's super cool. And do you, does that, you know, create tears, right? Does that create tribalism in some way when it's like, oh yeah, well, I was Silicon Valley, but I, and I chose to stay, but now Austin is the baby, right? And we love Austin mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I'm only work from home, right? Like I don't have the same connection that you others might have. Um, kind of relative to you know something else or anything else. I think I think that's you know one of the more interesting pieces for me is like how does how do you build that culture that's going to stay relevant and spend the right amount of time on that while also spending the right amount of time on the work. Mm hmm. Well, and that's, and that's what, like, I'm not going to say keeps me up at night. Um, but that's what I've been thinking about a lot is like, from this dynamic shift, right? Like, what's that special um, mixture, right? Because like, we've gone fully out of necessity, if eligible, largely you're working remote. But I've had some of my friends tell me, um, like, hey, I'm going to have to be in L.A. one week out of every month or two weeks out of every quarter. And like even taking aside the investment like real estate component, like just thinking of like now you can literally live in Montana. That's somewhere that's relatively cheap um, and then just fly, stay at an Airbnb for a week and like your your TAM, like your total guestable market from an employer standpoint is just is so big it's just i just love thinking through like so many more i almost think of it nerd like from a nerd standpoint of like additional nodes being introduced to the system oh yeah and like and that's why i love the internet like the internet you know because somebody can just get a smartphone and now they have like endless resources it, it's just all about the effort and even from the connection standpoint like something i would suggest to people or anyone really that feels like maybe they aren't creating those connections, like take advantage of seemingly the lockdown. Um, like you now can digitally attend hackathons across wherever, whichever country you're in or around the world. And you can start to create these relationships with other people that are doing that as well. Like, yes, it's going to be more difficult, and no, it's not going to be as meaningful of a connection um, at first, but um, it's kind of like, right, turning that lemon into lemonade. And, I, and that's at least one of the ways from a networking standpoint um, 
I, I would suggest. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic, right? Um, Location-based relevance, right, and culture building, I think is just super, super important. Um, and not something that we talk about nearly. You know, uh, it used to be, um, and I sound super old when I say this, it used to be that, like, that was only in relation to the city that you were in, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you're in New York, your network is going to look different than if you're in Poughkeepsie or Kalamazoo, right? Like, just, you know that, right? Um, and, for, and for everybody out there, Poughkeepsie is in New York, but I think Rob's a friend in New York City, uh, just to... To preface, I, as a New Yorker, I, I needed to break that. No, up. I I appreciate that. Yes, and periodically, <laughs> when I say the city, for instance, I'm not talking about London. I'm talking about <laughs> um. So you know, if you're if you're in that space, and location based strategy is all about like, um, you know, well, I'm a technologist, so I need to be in Silicon Alley in New York. I need to be in Silicon Valley, San Fran. I need to be in Seattle. Um, and maybe there are different pockets elsewhere, like, um, you know, Florida, DC, whatever. Um, now I think collectively the industries, uh, multiple, right. Cause every company is a tech company largely, um, needs to really hold its breath. Right. And say like, what do we have the infrastructure to really support bringing people in and being who we think that we are in light of all of this change, right? Because I, I think a lot of people, especially because they do their medium-term planning like one year in advance, were hoping when they started looking at 2021 and let's call it March or April of last year, that their corporations would be in a very different place, that their organizations would be in a different place. And now that that's not the case, it's like, oh, well, what does that mean, <laughs> right? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for our corporation? What does that mean for our team? Um, and What does that mean, mean for our product? What does that mean for the future of the product? Absolutely. It's a great question, right? Um, especially right, if you're competing. I, I wanted to Go ahead. Well, I wanted to highlight something that you said is like every company's in technology and I don't think every company knows that yet. Um, and that's especially important for the companies maybe a year ago during their medium term plan, like maybe thought technology was a fad, right? Um, well, <laughs> I firmly believe digitalization and innovation has been pulled forward something like six to eight years from an innovation standpoint, but almost more importantly from an adoption standpoint. Yeah, it kind of has to be right. Like, you know, things that weren't super important, like video conferencing, right. Important. Yeah. Especially if you travel, but like not everybody's using it now. I mean, if you just look at it, your entire backbone and network needs to be able to support everybody remote. Right before mm -hmm. you could say, well, if people are taking a sick day or people are traveling, they're going to use the remote. So they're going to use the, the, the remote infrastructure. So if I have, let's call it a thousand employees, maybe I need to be able to support 100. Um, now you need to be able to support a thousand, right? The outliers are the people mm -hmm. in the office. So how much more money did you need to spend? How much productivity did you lose? Um, what about the next one, 
right? Like now that we're kind of constantly, you know, it's hard to ignore the possibility of another pandemic or another DR, I'm sorry, disaster recovery event, um, like the un unfortunate um, situation um, in uh, over the weekend where there was a, a bombing and people lost infrastructure in America. Mm -hmm. um, are you prepared for that? Um, and, and if not, then what does that mean for your product? Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what value proposition do you think that you offer that you don't need to be plugged in and connected all the time in a way that's going to allow you to both be effective and also to attract top talent, right? Like if you're competing, if you think that you're competing with maybe not fan companies, but maybe that second tier, right? And they're, and you're like, um, oh yeah, by the way, like we don't have video conferencing. Immediately, you've got a retention problem on your hands when that person's like, uh, wait, what? And it's like, no, we don't have, we're not really using Teams or Zoom or, you know, insert your choice of, of video conferencing platform here. We just do a lot of bridge calls, conference calls. And that person has more than one offer on the table. It's like, well, you can't even connect me with my coworkers in this virtualized world. Uh, no, right? <laughs> right. Well, in, in, in that, I think that you're spot on. But I also think a lot of people may not even think through that, like front of mind, they'll think through it subliminally, or in, the, in like their subconscious. And it's like, something just doesn't feel right. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's so true. And when I've had these conversations in the past, too, it's like, oh, well, like history repeats itself. Let's look like, maybe during the Spanish flu, why wasn't there a persistent adjustment in standard of living or approaches? And my combatant to that is, did we have, to Rob's point, video conference capabilities? Did we have the ability for a significant portion of the workforce to work remote? No, like you don't know what you don't know. And that's where I really... Like it's like Pandora's box is opened, right? Yeah, and the persistence of information, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, we still call it the Spanish flu, even though it has very little to do with Spain, right? Right. So, right. so um, persistence of information would indicate right now that if I were looking at it from a um, investor day perspective, right? I'm looking at your 10Ks, I'm looking at your your press releases, one of the key things for me is going to be around that resiliency. Like if you didn't, if you're not looking to monetize this um, somehow, right. Even if it's just to ameliorate debt associated with this, um, then I don't know if I want to invest in you as a company. Or with your time as an employee. 100%. Yeah. In any dimension, right. Because it just means mm -hmm. that you don't have the forward thought to say, I just dumped an, a ton of money into digital networking, um, sorry, digital, digital workspace. I just dumped a bunch of money into something that could be leveraged from a disaster recovery, culture building perspective. Um, if you're not looking at how the sausage is made, how the product is created, how the culture is created around that, then again, what, what makes me think that you're going to survive as a company? Cause this is a, this is, I won't call it a gift, right? Because the gift wrapping is terrible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all, all of a sudden, right? Like, 
your company is 10 times harder to kill. Your talent pool is a million times bigger. Your, you know, all of the things that you would have told investors that you, you were striving for, you've kind of had to do um, in terms of diversity, inclusion, you know, hiring anyone anywhere, um, being able to sort of accommodate a bunch of lifestyles to get top talent, you know, all sorts of other, you know, really great things that you'd want to put in a brochure. Now you've got them for, let's call it sunk cost. Now what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's maintaining that agile framework um, and approach, right? Especially in today's day and age. Um, but I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And that's where I, I think, especially from a product manager standpoint, um, I almost feel like it's warranted like maybe next episode or one in the future for us to almost spend some time. And this is me feeding what I enjoy of like putting on my futurist hat um, and trying to think into the future. Um, like what is, what is the landscape for a product manager look like? And what do we maybe think some essential almost tools that PM has like for instance, G, uh, Google analytics mm-hmm. or um, anything really just, make that person succeed in this, in this more digitalized world. Um, and even if your company's not in a digital world yet, um, sort of thinking through that playbook of what can you do um, so that when it does happen, you've already thought through this process. So you're almost working on reaction as opposed to thinking from scratch. Um, I think that would be a cool thing to discuss. Yeah. That would uh, be with, with amazing um, to just kind of walk through because uh, I think you have a lot of really solid insights on on that sort of thing and the associated mindset that goes into building and maintaining it, right? I think that's it's really easy um, to talk about these things, but also as we look at tenure across the C-suite, right? So not your top figurehead folks, right? I'm not talking about your CEO, but like, you know, in a lot of companies, the tenure of anyone up to that person or even that person can be three to four years, right? So, um, you know, as we look at their compensation and the way they're compensated based on your sort of quarterly stock results and all sorts of other things, how do you continue, uh, you know, no matter what seat you're in to build and establish your North star and, because um, I think this is a valuable skill set. I think that that futurist skill set is super important, right? Um, for your own career, right? Just to architect your career and what you see when you look at the resume and it's 20, 2035. Like, what did you what did you do in order to build that future? Um, you have to create your own North Stars we were talking about last week. And it has to have some of these features that we're talking about in it, right? I was working in the mm-hmm. right sectors and the right culture because there are companies right now that don't exist or certainly aren't Fortune 100 that are going to dominate that 2035 landscape. And if you want to be a part of that product innovation, I'm going to say that you need to be intentional, especially as or if people de-emphasize location-based assets and experience, like which school you went to, Um to differentiate talent and it's just about who you are what your network looks like what's what your network looks like 
I couldn't agree more. That was very eloquently put, uh, Rob. And I'll kind of <laughs> do my best to summarize this with one quote um, from the great one. Uh, right? I skate where the puck's going to be, not where it has been. You can't beat Gretzky. I know, right? Like it, it, it's it's so funny how you can extract from that, like really what we're talking about, right? Just foresight, just foresight, but it's it, it, intentional foresight. And and that's um, you know, and at some point or another, you know, we're also let's also talk about recovery, right? What happens if you overextend in the wrong direction? Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I think again, one of the, the key pieces is going to be. Not just creating that vision, but but staying on top of it and continuing to adjust um, toward the market, and that's why Gretzky was so great for so long, right? You know, he wasn't the greatest mm-hmm. in one season or or in one instance. Continue to evolve and, and and engage in a way that made him the greatest across a number of different eras. So. Um, you gave us a wonderful TLDR, and I kept talking over it because I was so excited. Rob, we love the knowledge that you drop, man. Don't ever worry about talking over us. We want this, so keep it going. That's another good one from Rob and Andrew. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening.